Thank you, Lord. We're going to get into the Word this morning. And I tell you once again that I am blessed that you are here. And unlike some months, uh, some years, uh, a lot of times a Pastor Appreciation Day is something that, that comes and it's kind of a surprise and, and we don't know what's happening. And, and this year they wanted to make sure that we were going to be here today. So so a few, uh, three or four weeks ago they made sure to let us know and, and uh, to share with us. And as I was thinking about today, uh, before I get into the message, I a lot of times people will take this day and they'll focus it on on a pastor, and, I, and I'm w- greatly appreciative of that. But the Bible says in Ephesians that the pastor, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, all of all of the fivefold ministry, that we are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Biblically speaking, God didn't set apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers up to do the work of the ministry, but to equip others to do the work of the ministry. And quite frankly, and I think you you probably know this, many of you are far better equipped and anointed to reach your neighbors, your coworkers, your family and your friends than Billy Graham or your favorite teacher on television, or your favorite Christian author, your favorite evangelist, or myself, or any other pastor. And if we do what God's called us to do, then we train up a people to go out and do the work of the ministry. And I was just kind of thinking last, I'm a nostalgic person, and I guess, you know, we, we've been going through cleaning things, and going through old, I've, I've kept so much stuff through the years. My wife's nodding her head back there. I'm nostalgic, and I, I used to keep every single thing. And and that when you start cleaning those things out, you begin to wonder why did I keep every single thing? You know, because then you have to go through each thing and decide: Do I want to, you know, keep this or or whatever? And and as I was looking back through a lot of memories over a lot of years, something that is a principle of life and a principle of the kingdom just grabbed my heart. And I want to share it with you today because we're going to talk about the New Testament church and what God intends for the New Testament church to be. But there is nothing that has ever happened or ever will happen that's beneficial, that makes a difference, that carries upon it the anointing of God and an impact for the kingdom of God in this church or any other church that has happened as a result of an evangelist or a pastor, or a teacher alone. It always happens by pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles and prophets together with, coming together with the people of God that God sends into a local body. And then as those people step out and they begin to intercede and they begin to pray and they begin to worship and they begin to love one another and they begin to fellowship and they begin to take their own personal ministry seriously and they begin to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and they begin to reach out to people and bring people into the kingdom of God, then a church that is alive begins to show enthusiasm and growth and strength. So everything that's ever happened in any church across the nation happens as a result usually of people that nobody knows about. Primarily, I think about all of the intercessors and prayer warriors who spend hours and hours and hours on their knees without any fanfare or anybody saying thank you or anybody even knowing what they do. 
I think about people through the years, and I'm not going to start naming names because if I name a name that, that stands out to me, I might miss a name that stands out to you and, or somebody I didn't even know. But there have been prayer warriors and intercessors that are, have been assigned to this church. I know through the 26, 27 years I've been here, but farther than that, that have been assigned to this church and every church that had they not been faithful to pray, the church, this church wouldn't be here today had it not been for the intercessors. And when I say intercessors, those of you who have been in this church for any length of time, immediately you have names start coming to your mind. You think of people who have stood in the gap on behalf of this church, on your behalf, and on behalf, uh, behalf of the pastor, whoever the pastor may have been at the time. I think of encouragers. I think of people who nobody knows their name, but when the time is right and people need it the, the most, that they send cards and they send letters, and they make phone calls, and they make visits, or maybe they just come by and they put their arm around you and they say, hey, I've been thinking about you this week. How many of you has had your week or your day literally turned upside down in the right kind of way just because somebody said to you at church one day, hey, are you okay? I've been thinking about you all week long. I want you to know I've been praying for you. A church couldn't be a church without encouragers. We could be an organization. We could have meetings. We could get big but we couldn't be a family. We couldn't be a church without encouragers. I think about kids leaders. A couple of them are, are, are ministering to our three to five-year-olds today. I think about kids leaders who are willing to go up and leave Sunday morning service or Sunday night service or Wednesday night service, not get to participate in the sermon or whatever happens afterwards, but they go and they give their time, not only in the week beforehand, preparing for what they're going to say, preparing whatever they're going to do, and then they leave the service and they minister to your kids and your grandkids. And they're in there when your kids are having good days, and they're in there when your kids are having bad days. I'll never forget, Sister Debbie was my kid's Sunday school teacher for a while. We always thought our kids were, our kids, by the way, were perfect. You do know that. Our kids were just perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, but I'll never forget one day when Jonathan was young, Sister Debbie coming out and saying, always have been very complimentary. Says, I don't know what was wrong with Jonathan today, but he was just all over the place. And now this is probably preschool or primary age. And uh, had they said that when he was 16, I would have totally understood. But at, at that age, I was just like, you know, I, I don't understand. And, 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 and boy, we got home and we backed up our teacher real good, you know. And we, you know what pastors do and, and, and you do as a good parent. You back up your teacher. And then we found out that he was allergic to Dimetap and, and that he was just hyper, you know. But our teachers, they deal with your kids on good days and days when they are on dime a tap. Uh, our, our teachers deal with your kids, you know, on the days when everything's gone right at home and on the days when the family's been at each other's throats five minutes before you got to church. And you know how it is. You're in the car and, and you're at each other's throats and then dad says, straighten up! And you get out of the car and everybody's like this when you come in. But deep down you're still angry and your teachers catch that. And I think about all of our kids' teachers who have dedicated so much time through the years so that we could have quality ministry for our kids and we have had quality ministry and we still do have quality ministry for our kids. I think about our youth leaders through the years. And we've had different ones through the years, along with the ones that we have now, Tom and Tammy with our preteens and Stephen and Jennifer with our teenagers, and how they minister. And all through the years, we've had youth leaders who have taken their time and given of themselves to minister to our kids, who having been a substitute teacher, I thought I'd make a little extra money and become a substitute teacher. I figure I have a degree. I can go be a sub, and I can make money. And I subbed one day. In middle school. 
And from that point on, every time they called, I said, can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Because when people say you are ministering to the hormonally challenged, I understood from that point forward what was taking place. And understand, we love our young people, but young people at that stage in their life are going through one of the most volatile stages of their life. And understand, they're with them on good days and they're with them on bad days. They're with them when they love them and they're with them when they hate them. And I think about all the youth leaders and all those who have ministered, and I think about those who even today have been setting up for the meal. You didn't see them in here because they were trying to get things ready so that you could enjoy the meal. You didn't even have to think about it, but, but they were back there getting dishes ready and, and getting things done. Think about our ushers, and I think about our sound people who are back there. Thankless job. You, you don't even know they're back there until something's wrong. And then when something's wrong, they all know you're in here because you're all looking at them. Like that, see? And, they are, and if you're not looking at them like that, us up here on the stage are doing it. You know, like that. Sound people, my musicians. Isn't it an awesome thing to be in the presence of God and worship and have one of those moments just like we had two or three, for me anyway, of those moments tonight or this morning when it just hits at a moment and the anointing is strong and, and, the, and the, the, to hear behind me the, the harmony and the vocals and the, and, the, and the music that's up here. And we've always, we've had different faces on this stage through the years playing different instruments, but man, God has always blessed us with the people who were willing to, to give of themselves and sacrifice of themselves and walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Nowadays in technology, things have changed, and so you got people who, who take care of your social media and people who take care of your bulletins and people who take care of your calendars and people who take care of cleaning things and fixing things. And when you got a pastor who don't know how to fix anything, a pastor who you don't want trying to fix anything, you know, how many times I've called men in this church at 2 or 3 in the morning saying, hey... We got a leak going on. I'll never forget one day we the well went out years ago and we had guest ministers here. And that was back when people stayed in our home when they were guest ministers. And we had no water on the hill. And I called a fellow who, who was here at the time that you called when needed help. And he said, well, I tell you what, we probably need to shoot the well. In my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even own a gun. I, I don't know, and I don't know what good that would do. You know, so you don't want me messing <laughs> with things. And how many times people have come out at, to, you know, Stephen back there smiling at me because, and Chris, they keep thinking they're going to teach me how to do something. And, and they keep saying, you know, just try it. You can do it. You, you've got skills in there that you don't know you have. So every once in a while, I get a little adventurous and say, you know, I, they're building me up. You know, I think I can do this. And then I wind up inevitably calling, hey, I tried. Can you come fix what I tried to fix? It didn't work. And you think about all those things that people have done, and I'm so grateful. And I want to say how much I appreciate everybody who has given of their time in any way to serve through the years. I want to say also how much I appreciate you for showing up. I know it's not easy to show up every time. I won't be just gut level honest with you. I don't know if this will help us or hurt us. <sighs> but there's a lot of Sunday afternoons when I'm trying to wake up from my Sunday afternoon nap. And I'm thinking, you know, a lot of churches don't have Sunday night service. Oh, Lord, if today we were one of those churches. Bless the Lord. I could finish my nap. 
which makes me doubly grateful for those of you who, who do come on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. By the way, some people do come on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. <laughs> so I, I really do appreciate those of you who, who, who are able to come out and do come out. And I understand those who can't. But, you know, we, we'd just be a building without you. That's all we'd be. And I'm grateful that you come and you love on each other. I'm grateful that you come and you laugh with each other. I cannot tell you how many mornings... And I want you, again, I don't get people to raise their hands very many times. You know that. But I want you to think, and I want you to raise your hand. How many times have you come into this place really not wanting to be here and wishing that you weren't, but by the time you got through the fellowship in the morning, somebody had said something to make you laugh or feel better, and you actually were glad that you came? Would you live Before the preaching or anything else ever starts. You see? That's what a church family does. And I'm so grateful for the church family here. I'm grateful for the mentors and the pastors and the teachers and the role models in every one of our lives. I've had mine. Most of you know mine. And I've had quality people in my life. And I'm grateful for those in this church who have stood beside me in ministry and in leadership. Some of them have had the dubious privilege of standing beside me in ministry and leadership the entire 26 years I've been here. They deserve a plaque or something, uh, but uh, I appreciate that. And I'm grateful for my family. My dad and my mom and my sister who, who actually come here to church and allow me to be their pastor. I'm grateful for my son and my daughter-in-law and my daughter who are old enough to choose where they go to church and come here to church and still allow me to be their pastor. And I'm grateful for my wife. Because nobody knows what a pastor's wife goes through. The expectations, the stuff she has to hear about her own family, 75% of which are either not true or half true, the difficulty. She has to watch people come and then watch people go. And as much as you always say, don't take it personal, it's awful hard to, on the one hand, try to say, hey, let's all be family, and then on the other hand, turn around and say, but I don't take it. It's nothing's personal. And yet she's done it with grace and dignity and charisma and enthusiasm for 26 years. She didn't know when she married me she was going to be a pastor's wife, by the way. My calling was youth pastor. She thought we were going to be dealing with teenagers all of our ministry. And then it was evangelism, and we traveled. She never knew it was going to be a pastor. And when the Lord started calling me to be a pastor, believe me, she had to seek God about that. And God gave me enough wisdom through men and women of God who were wiser than me that said, you don't want to go into the ministry and be a pastor unless your wife knows that's what you're called to do as well. So wait. And we did. And God spoke to her and said, this is it. And so for 26 years, she stood by my side and been my encourager and my help. My very, very, very best friend. And so if anybody deserves appreciation today, she does. 
A church is more than one person. Matter of fact, if a church is only one person, then it's not much of a church. It's much like everything else in our secular society. It's just an entertainment place. It's somewhere you come to be entertained. But entertainment won't change you. It won't challenge you. It won't help you. But if we are to be a church, we're to be a family of believers that have been called together and led together by the Holy Spirit with an anointing of God upon us to be and do in our community what nobody else can uniquely be and do. Other churches can do great things we can't do as Abundant Life, and we're not called to do what Pathway is called to do or what Christian Fellowship is called to do. But they can't do what Abundant Life is called to do. We all are called to do uniquely and individually as churches what God calls us to do within our community. And then when we get the opportunity to join arms together, with other churches and do what we can do all together at certain moments and certain times. And by the way, this church has always been good to do that too. I've seen crusades and ministries that just from my point of view, looking back, and not because of anything I did, but because of what this church has done. Many of the community events were heavily, much more percentage-wise, heavily sponsored and encouraged and given to by this body of believers through the years than, than you would ever begin to imagine. And that wasn't because I sat there and said, hey, let's do that. That's because other people within the church said, we need to do that. And we got behind it and God did great things. I want to tell you today, if you call this church family home, I think you are blessed. We're not perfect. I'd be the first to tell you that. This church will never be perfect as long as I'm in it. And this church will never be perfect as long as you're in it. So this church is not perfect. But I've never seen a family like this one when the chips are down. Ever. When the chips are down, this is a family. And that has nothing to do with me. It's been like that ever since we've been here. I just feel blessed. And anywhere I go throughout 26 years, I've told people, this is a good people. It is a good people. So I want to say thank you. And I want to say how much I appreciate all of you. But, as good as all of that is, if the Lord tarries, the sun's going to rise tomorrow, and it's going to be a new day. And God doesn't intend for us to always look back on where we've been and what we've done. He intends for us to move forward into a future that has its own challenges, and its own difficulties, but they are not impossible because our God does the impossible. And He said all things are possible for us if we can only believe. <clears throat> and I mentioned to you <clears throat> a few weeks ago, and, and it's true. God did not raise up the church so that it could limp to the finish line and barely survive and make it to the rapture so that we can get out of here before we all fall apart. That's not what God designed the church for. He designed the church to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. He anointed us and He equipped us to meet the challenge of every single generation that would ever face the church. He anointed us. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. It doesn't matter how deep the darkness is. It doesn't matter what there is out there that could scare us. He said there's no fear in love and I am perfect love. So don't be afraid. Do what I've called you to do. And I personally believe that the pattern for the New Testament church in the book of Acts is still the pattern for the New Testament church in 2015 America. And if we'll get this right, 
then there is absolutely nothing that God can't do through Abundant Life Worship Center, no matter what the future may hold for us. And I want to read just real quickly. Now, I am hungry, so it probably won't take too long. So I want to read just real quickly in Acts chapter 2. Because Acts chapter 2 is the place where we see the New Testament church begin. It's the first example of New Testament Christianity. On the day of Pentecost, after all the crowds gathered at the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem to see what was taking place with the disciples in the upper room, in verse 38, it says, Peter, and he's been preaching to them, he says to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse or crooked or wicked generation. And then those who gladly received his word or his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. I want, to, I want you to notice that. Every single day. God was adding to the church those who were being saved. Now, since they weren't having necessarily what we would call church every single day as an organized gathering, then how was God adding every day those who were being saved? That tells me that people were being saved as an, by the influence of the church outside of the meetings of the church. A couple of things I want to point out to you. If we're to see the move of God continue in our time, and I believe we are. If you ask me, are you afraid? I'm not. Now, you may think I'm crazy, but I'm not. If you ask me, are you nervous about what's to come? I am not. Not at all. Not even a little bit. You say, well, you must not know. No, I know. I watch the news just like everybody else. But I can tell you I am sensing in my spirit and have been for some time that God is about to catch the enemy off guard. I believe that at the time when the enemy believes that he's got it sewed up and in the bag, just like God has throughout the history of the world, God is about to raise up deliverance for the people of God. And I don't believe it's going to be through an individual, through a, one particular church or one particular ministry that everybody's going to flock to and buy their books. I believe it's going to come through the body of Jesus Christ across the United States and around the world rising up with power and anointing in the Holy Spirit. One of the biggest problems American Christians have is we think we are the only nation on the planet. And therefore we only read about what happens as it pertains to us. And what we don't realize is there is great revival taking place around the earth today. God is appearing and I'm reading all kinds, not because I'm trying to. People are giving me books and sending me books. 
People from outside of this church are just, I'm getting books in the mail, and I'm reading them, and I'm finding out that Jesus is showing up in dreams and visions to Islamic individuals in Islamic countries where you can't get to any other way, and telling them who he is, and they're coming to Christ at the risk of their life. Many Muslim imams, even in some places, are coming to know Jesus Christ through dreams and visions, and then meeting secretly to figure out how to get the gospel out in their situation and in their environment. Many of them are dying because of it. Many of them are being tortured and beaten because of it. Many of them are having to keep their identity secret because of it. So under other names, Christian authors are now documenting what is happening in Muslim nations. And I'm telling you in the Middle East, there is a revival going on. Uh, And I'm telling you in Africa, there's been a revival going on in Africa for decades now. God's been moving in Africa. What was called the dark continent is beginning to shine with light. The spiritual birth rate in Africa is staggering. What God is doing, how many people he's bringing into the kingdom of God in Africa is amazing. The underground church movement in China will boggle your mind. They're still under communism and still under persecution in China, and yet the underground church, not the government-sponsored church, but the real church, underground, where they face losing their jobs or possibly being in prison, is growing exponentially into the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians who are willing to put their life on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Happening today in China. I'm telling you that in South America, David Paris just got back from Argentina, and he'll tell you the great revival that has been going on for decades now in Argentina, what God is doing in South America. As a matter of fact, about the only two places on the globe that is not experiencing what we would call great revival are the United States of America and Europe. The most, quote-unquote, Christian nations. But I want to tell you why that's happening. It's because we were lulled to sleep. The church fell asleep. We got comfortable. We decided that Having the biggest house and the big screen TVs and keeping up with the Joneses was more important than spending time in the prayer closet. We, we decided that, 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 that all the comforts and conveniences and trappings of our time and our society was more vital to us than, than, than being the church of Jesus Christ in our generation. But there are things afoot in our nation now that I don't believe God is sending, but God is certainly allowing as the hedge of protection is beginning to drop because God's people are not haven't been seeking His face, we're now we're starting to wake up. The body of Christ in America is starting to be shaken out of its slumber. I can see it. Prayer movements are beginning to arise all over the United States. I was just reading about one last night. Prayer movements are arising all over the United States where people are crying out to God for no less than a third great awakening to shake the nation and shake the world again. And some of the people who are crying out the hardest is the generation of young adults that most people have given up on. As a matter of fact, most of the brightest, most of the most anointed, most of the ones, the leadership in the church today that is making the most inroads are coming from the young adult generation that most people have written off. They're building the biggest churches. They're doing some of the greatest works in the kingdom of God. God is doing some tremendous things around the world. I'm not trying to paint you a rosy picture and tell you everything's perfect. It's not. I'm not trying to tell you that that America's got this sewed up and we're all going to be fine. I don't know. Matter of fact, I would tell you that I'm actually alarmed by, by many of the things that are going on in our government. I'm alarmed by many of the things that are taking place in society. And if they're not turned, then I believe we could suffer persecution, even in the United States. I have no doubts about that. You say, well, then why are you so happy? And what is it? Because persecution has never stopped the church. 
I don't, I don't want persecution, but I want you to understand something. Persecution does one thing to the church of Jesus Christ. It weeds out the shaft from the wheat. That's all it does. The only thing persecution will do is real quick, you have to make up your mind of, am I in this for Jesus or am I in this for me? Because if you're in this for anything but Jesus, when persecution arises, you'll walk away. When persecution arises, you won't be anywhere to be found. When persecution arises, it'll cost you your job, it'll cost you your position, it'll cost you something economically, or it'll cost you something physically, or it'll cost you your family. You will immediately find a way to excuse yourself from backing out of your commitment to Jesus Christ. And if you can back out of your commitment to Jesus Christ, you have to question, what kind of commitment to Jesus Christ do you have? And so the only thing real persecution has ever done through the history of the world to the church of Jesus Christ is begin to weed it out and wake it up. And what will happen is if that happens, God will wake up the true church and the true church of America will arise. Now, I don't think we're at that point yet. I think there's still a window, how small it is, I don't know, of opportunity for the church to rise up and still be the church and influence our nation and see revival. But we've got to do it now. And we still do it the same way it started. It begins with repentance. Peter said, first thing, what do we do? What can we do to change? Repent. Repent means more than just be sorry. Repent means change. It means turn around. Make a 180 degree turn. Make a decision that I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and do what God says. I'm going to stop thinking the way I've been thinking and think like God tells me to think. I'm going to stop speaking the way I've been speaking and start speaking the way the Word of God tells me to speak. Repent and be baptized. Now I want to, for a minute, I know he's talking about water baptism. And that's important. But the word baptized literally means immerse. That means to completely envelop, be completely enveloped and overcome in, by definition. And you know what the church of Jesus needs more than anything else? What every Christian in America needs more than anything else? Is to be immersed in the presence of Jesus Christ. We need to be completely enveloped and overcome by the presence and the anointing and the command of Jesus to where He is everything, our all in all, all of the time. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. To be baptized in the name of to means to be baptized in the character of, in the person of. So we need to be completely overcome, enveloped by the character and the person of Jesus. Let me tell you something. When the church of Jesus Christ that claims to be the church of Jesus in America repents, decides to change because he's worth it, and gets completely overcome, enveloped, and covered up by the character and the person and the plan of Jesus, things will begin to change. They'll begin to change, first of all, in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your church. And as that begins to happen across this nation, things will begin to change nationally. He says, be baptized in the name of Jesus and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, all we are is an organization. Without the Holy Spirit, all we're having is meetings. We have to have the power and the person and the anointings and the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. That will overcome a whole lot of things. I shared this story not long ago. It may have even been Wednesday night about where I got filled with the Holy Ghost. The church that I got filled with the Holy Ghost in was so small that it would fit in just one section of this sanctuary. Matter of fact, one section of if I'm dividing it up into three sections, one section of the sanctuary is probably bigger than the church that I got filled with the Holy Ghost in and called to ministry in. And the room that I actually got prayed for to get filled with the Holy Ghost in is smaller than our sound booth. And we didn't have but one musician, and they only showed up one service a week. So almost all of our worship was a cappella. I'm not going to see anything about the ones who sang either. We'll just leave that where it was. 
Might have been better to worship in silence. And an average crowd would have been about 25 on a good day. A church where people would say, nothing can ever happen there. And yet God sent revival there. That's where I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where two other young people my age, and at that time I was about 12 or 13, got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where we got on fire for God. They didn't play the music we liked. They didn't play it the way that we liked it or at the volume that we liked it, and we still worshiped God. They, they didn't do things the way we liked it, but we took what we had, and we were so in love with Jesus that none of the rest of it mattered. We went after God. And I'm still telling you today, not against any of those things, but what I'm telling you today is when the Holy Spirit shows up, it makes a big difference. When the Holy Spirit moves it makes a big difference. When the power and the anointing and the, there is no substitute on this planet for the work of the Holy Spirit. Never has been, never will be. And he says this is for your children. So the other thing we're going to have to realize if we're to tackle everything that's ahead of us is we got, we've got to quit giving up on the next generation. You know every generation has always given up on the generation beneath them. They always have. I, I've, everybody, everybody, I've, I remember it from the time I was a kid. I, all they want to do is, and that's wild stuff. They don't have, they, they, well, I just give up. They're, every generation doesn't understand the generation behind them. They forget what they were like as teenagers, and they forget how their generation of parents and grandparents thought that they would never make it and how wild they were, but then they turn around and repeat the same mistake and give up on the next generation after them. I'm telling you something. The Bible says this promise of the Holy Spirit is not just for you. It's not just for our It's for the children and to their children. And as many as other, as long as there is time, God is going to have a remnant that he's working with. So if God's not giving up on our society... Man, I wish every Christian would get this in America. If God's not giving up on your society and God's not giving up on the generation, why should we give up on society and why should we give up on the generation? The Bible says this promise is for your children. And then look at what they did. First of all, it says that those who gladly receive were added to the church. 3,000 in one day, gladly receive, gladly receive. When was the last time you acted glad about being saved? You know, David cried out, God restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes you've got to get a hold of yourself and you've got to say, wait a minute. Look in the mirror. I have a problem and the problem is me. I, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that I'm saved. I thank you, God, that I'm free. I thank you, God, that you fill me with your spirit. I thank you, God, that you've given me health and you've given me life. God, I thank you that I have joy in your presence. And when we begin to do that, we can act like we're halfway glad to be saved. You know, it might make a difference if people could just see a smile. We're talking about coming and receiving life that no one else can offer. It might be better if we acted like we had life that somebody else might want. They gladly received it. There was joy in the New Testament church. They continued. They didn't just start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. They continued. When they started praying, they kept praying. When they started hearing God's word, they kept hearing God's word. When they started fellowshipping together, they kept fellowshipping together. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't move from one thing to another thing. When, when, when it got old, they just kept going and kept going, and they continued steadfastly. They continued in doctrine. You've got to have doctrine. 
Listen, guys, we can do it in all kinds of different ways. I can get up here with a cordless microphone. We can have things on the screen that you're looking at. We can put cool pictures up there. We can insert videos, and we may do that someday, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if it's more entertaining and it gets the message across, that's fine. It's not about the method, but it is about the message. Somehow, some way, you've got to get doctrine. We've got to have doctrine. If we get to the point where we can't deal with doctrine when it gets down to the Word of God and I don't have time for what the Word of God teaches, then we are the most susceptible people to deception. And Jesus said that the biggest thing you have to watch out for in the end times is deception. False teachers and false prophets. So you've got to stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word. Not just at church in your own time as believers. Stay in the Word of God. A church that does that is going to be strong. Fellowship. You've got to keep fellowshipping together. How many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hands now, how many of you ever talk to each other outside of Sunday morning and Wednesday night? How many of you know anything personally about other people in this room that you call your church family? I, I do. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't, in many cases, you are missing out. You say, well, Brother Lynn, that's your job because you're the pastor. See, that's where you're wrong. We're a church family. We need to fellowship. We need to spend time with one another, breaking bread, and we need to pray. And we can't just fellowship. Sometimes we get that mixed up. We're all about fellowship. You, you have a dinner, and we'll get 73 people show up. You have a prayer meeting, and we'll get three show up. So we need to be about fellowship because that's important. All of you prayer warriors that get mad at people who come out for fellowship, you need fellowship. But we also need to pray. Never stop praying. Prayer is what changes things. We need to be a people of prayer. Notice verse 43. Fear came. That means wonder. Awe came upon them. Came upon everybody in the room. Do you ever just have a sense of wonder and awe? I mentioned it this morning. It happens a lot. We're, we're in the midst of, of worship. Those last three songs we did. Freedom reigns in this place. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. Oh, a, a revelation song. Last three songs we did, there was a point in all three songs where literally I stood in awe because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, what was happening at that moment. I, I, I would not rather be anywhere on this planet. Well, wait a minute. Hawaii would be good. But no, I wouldn't rather be anywhere at that moment than in the presence of the Lord, the sense of wonder. How often do you stand in awe of the grace of God? You know, you're driving down the road on a fall-like day and you see all the vivid, beautiful colors in the trees. How often do you look at them and just stand in awe that God, He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to put it in a system where there would be color that you could be amazed at, but He did. How often do you stand in awe at the fact that, look, Jesus didn't have to save me, but He did. The Bible says great fear, meaning reverence and awe and wonder. But they, they walked around with a sense of gratitude. They walked around in their lives with a sense of awe and wonder and a sense of blessing. That they were even just a part of the family of God. When's the last time that we stopped and just said, God, it is so good to be a part of the family of God. Just to be a Christian. When you keep that sense of wonder and gratitude, it's contagious. People come into this place and they sense that and they begin to think about how good things are and how God's blessed them. Then it says wonders and signs were done through the apostles. When? In an atmosphere of love and prayer and gratitude. Wonders and signs take place. 
It says all who believed were together, had all things in common. Nobody stood out here and said, well, I'm more spiritual than that one, or I'm smarter than that one, or, or I got this ministry, or God's called me to do that, or God's called me over here, and I'm over. There was none of that. They were all together. They had everything in common. They were one family. Nobody thought of themselves as higher than another. It, as a matter of fact, their love was so deep that God didn't command them to do it, but they sold their possessions if they had excess, and they began to distribute to others who were in need. Otherwise, the New Testament church wasn't just a church where if you came in and you had a problem, they said, well, we'll pray for you. And then that's good as far as it goes. But they would also say, what is the problem? Can I help? And there is a difference. It's wonderful to pray, but sometimes maybe we should ask, what is the problem? Can I help? You say, but I want God involved. Well, aren't you a part of the body of Jesus Christ? Do you not think that he would sometimes want to use you to be involved? Can I help? Is there something I can do? Many times we don't do that because we think, well, I don't have enough to give everything they'll need. But just because you don't have enough to give everything they need doesn't mean that you don't have enough to give something that they need. The Bible says they were together and they sold of their excess and helped each other out so that there was no need. And then they kept it up daily with one accord. That means they stayed in unity. They did not allow anything to come in and divide them. I put up here on the screen, I saw it on a quote the other day. I liked it. It says, spread the gospel, not the gossip. Spread the gospel, the good news, not the gossip. You got something negative to say about somebody? Don't. Act more like your father in heaven than the devil does. The Bible says the devil's the accuser of the brethren. God's not for everybody who's ever thought, the Holy Spirit showed me this about this brother or sister. We need to pray for them. The Holy Spirit gave me this word, and I just sent something's wrong. Guess what? You're the one who's wrong. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't divide. He unites, and he's not the accuser, but there is someone who is. He comes as an angel of light and he says, hey, I'm the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this. And then you go and you share that. And here's the thing about words. Once those words are out, no matter how hard you try, you can never go back and bring them back. Words are powerful. power of life and death is in the tongue. You may, three months later, find out that whatever it was you thought about that person was completely wrong. But guess what? Whatever you said about that person, you'll never go back and get. It's already traveled the world ten times, your world. So it's important for us to be a people who love one another enough and care about one another enough that we stay unified. Don't allow anything to divide you. The minute the enemy tries to give you a thought that's negative about somebody else, cast it down. And if you hear anybody else say anything negative about somebody else, you stop the conversation. Can I tell you what will stop gossip quicker than anything else? Is when people who are trying to gossip feel uncomfortable gossiping. When they begin to share gossip and they oh, they didn't like that. Guess what? They may try it two or three more times, but if they try two or three times and everybody they go to with the gossip shuts it down, they realize, oh, this isn't going to work. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And when they begin feeling uncomfortable gossiping, guess what they will do? They will stop gossiping, and it will be the best thing you ever did for them. So be a people who stay together, and you have to work to stay together. Can I tell you something? The easiest thing to do is allow the enemy to divide you from somebody. If somebody comes in here today, they don't look at you just right. Maybe they don't look at you at all. Maybe they totally ignored you. 
And you think, well, that person must be mad at me. That person just, uh, uh, I never liked that person anyway. I've been thinking this about this person for a long time. And that just confirms everything I thought about that person. And what you don't know is that you don't know what happened to that person last night. You don't know what's going on in their family. You don't know that it took every bit of energy they had to get in this door this morning. You don't know that they have no clue what they're going to do when they leave these doors today to try to figure out the mess that's going on in their family this afternoon. And you know what? They probably didn't mean to ignore you. They just had a little bit more on their mind than trying to make you feel better by shaking your hand this morning. Normally they would always make sure to acknowledge you, but today was just a bad day. And guess what? Tomorrow might be your bad day. And what you, the way the Bible says we should treat one another is the way we ourselves would want to be treated. If you want somebody to take your bad day and go run with it, then, then go ahead. But here's the thing. If you run with theirs, somebody's running with yours. That's a, that's a fact. If you're telling something on somebody else, somebody somewhere is telling something on you. That's a promise. And if they're not, it's just a matter of time. They will. Matter of fact, it'll probably be the very same person you just talked to about them that'll turn around and go tell them what you just said about them. I can attest to that. It happens all the time. I found out many things people said through the years by the very people they told. So I want to encourage you. Stay together. Stay united. Stay in one accord. Any church that does that can stay effective. Not only did they stay in one accord in the temple, they broke bread from house to house. I love this last phrase, and we're about done. They ate their food with goodness or gladness and simplicity of their heart. I always read that, and I thought, I don't understand that. I get prayer and fellowship and doctrine and, and unity and, you know, all these things we're talking about, repentance and the power of the Holy Spirit and wonder and all, but what's this eating food with gladness and simplicity? That just seems, that just seems so common. It's out of place. But nothing in the Bible is out of place. There's a reason for it. You know what it says about the New Testament church? They were just ordinary people living ordinary lives and doing ordinary things under the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit with an extraordinary love for one another. And they just went about their business with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were just who they are. They were real. They were genuine. They were authentic. They just lived their life with gladness and simplicity. Transparent. They weren't complicated. They just went about their life and did what they did and loved God and loved one another. And they were always praising God, giving Him honor for what He was doing. And that gave them favor with the people. And then the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you know the most effective evangelism program in the history of the world? It was not an event that any church in all of history has ever had or ever will have. It is a spirit-empowered people stepping out into their everyday, ordinary lives with love and compassion for one another, being who they are, and never forgetting whose they are every day and telling people about it. And then backing up their words with their lives. It's the most effective evangelistic outreach you'll ever have. And when you do that, God will add to the church daily those who are being saved. And you know what will happen when people are getting saved every day? What happened when I shared the testimony about uh, Joy's uh, 
uh, most wanted list, two people being saved. How did you feel? How many of you just felt enthusiasm in your own heart? That wasn't your, they, they, they weren't on your prayer list, but did something for you. What did it do? Well, number one, you were excited because somebody said free. Number two, it brought hope. You've got somebody on your top ten list that still needs to be saved, and God's still working. There's probably been times when you've thought, I don't know, I've been praying over this top ten list for four years now, and these people are worse and not better. I don't know. But then, lo and behold, two people are saved in one week. And what happens? Encouragement, hope, enthusiasm. There's a fire that begins. You know what would happen in this church next week? If you went out and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody and they got saved and they got set free and they got delivered and you brought them here to church with you next Sunday morning, you know what would happen? Other people that don't even know that person would be encouraged and hope would begin to rise in their heart. And things, this, this whole church would begin to experience the enthusiasm and the excitement of a new believer brought into the kingdom of God. What would happen if somebody who is a Christian but who's walked away from God and, and isn't serving God right now, if you instead of giving up on them, if you went after them with everything that you had and you started pursuing them and praying for them and loving them and sharing the gospel with them and encouraging them again, and lo and behold, they get right with God, they get set free from whatever they've been bound to and you whether they come here with you or not you come back and you share that testimony you know what's going to happen in this church there's going to be hope and enthusiasm and excitement and a fire begin to spread in this place and then all of a sudden you'll begin to feel like you're part of something that is here's the key word alive and you know why because you look around you and you think you know what I love this person but they're not supermen and superwomen. They're just like me. They're human just like I am. And if God can do it with them and do it for their family and their friends, then God can do it with me. And He can do it for my family and my friends and my co-workers. And you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying over my top ten list. I'm going to pull it back out. I hadn't looked at it in two years. I'm going to pull it back out and I'm going to start believing God every day and thanking God every day. And you know what? That family member that I hadn't talked to that I had given up on because they're so messed up, I'm going to start talking to them again. And I'm going to start praying for them again. And I'm going to start interceding for them again. And I'm going to start. And then you're going to come together with the body of Christ and we're going to start praying with one another. You're going to say, hey, I'm praying for this, this cousin of mine, this aunt of mine, this brother of mine and they need the Holy Spirit to touch their hearts and be set free I want you to stand in agreement with me every day and they're going to start standing in agreement with you in prayer and they're going to start encouraging you and lifting you up when you're having a bad day and it seems like they're running farther away from God you're going to call that church friend and you're going to say hey it seems worse today than before I I don't want to go into all the details but I need you to lift me up and they're going to cry with you over the phone rejoice with you when you rejoice and weep with you when you weep and they're going to pray for you and encourage you they might even come over and share coffee with you and put their arm around around you and you're going to feel closer to them and closer to your church family and you're going to walk into this place even before you see the miracle and you're going to have a smile on your face because you know you're not alone you know that you're a family of believers you know that Jesus is alive and working inside of you and little by little by little by little by little something that was a spark becomes a fire and God begins to do a powerful work again in this day and in this time and in this age and what he does here he can do in every church and the more every church begins to see that the quicker we'll see revival and our nation will change. It is that simple and that complicated all at one time. It's not complicated except that we make it so. Jesus said, here's the way the New Testament church works. That's the way it worked 2,000 years ago. And folks, that's the way it still works today. Any New Testament church that does it this way will experience the life of God. 
And I believe that God wants to do it. I'll close today by going back to something that I said earlier. Anybody would tell you that's a pastor friend of mine or that from the time I started pastoring here till today, I would always tell people about abundant life. They are such good people. They are such good people. If there's one thing that has continually been a sorrow to me, it's been when I've wished, when I felt like this church body was missing something that I felt like you would benefit from having, whether it was a ministry that we couldn't afford to, to bring in or, or, or uh, something structurally that I wish we had that for whatever reason we couldn't have or, or revival that I've seen in my lifetime in different places that I wish we could see. And the reason I always feel kind of sad about that is because I think, dear God, if, if that could happen here, these are such good people. And God, if that could happen here, I just believe that, that we would be those who would treat this move of God right. I believe that we would be those who could... I might be surprised, but I just sense that. And if there's anything that saddens me and has saddened me through the years, it's in situations where I wish we could see more, I wish you could see more and experience more. But you know what? God's not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of churches or ministries or geographic locations on a map. He's just waiting for people who will dare to believe, who will dare to get hungry enough, who will dare to get thirsty enough, who will dare to have the hope and expectation and say, God can do it here. God can do it now. God can do it with me. And I volunteer. And I challenge you as a people of God, don't miss the moment. Don't miss this season. Don't miss this time. Jesus cried over Jerusalem one day. He said that you're the ones who missed the moment of your visitation. Don't miss the moment. This is the time for the Church of America to arise and be the church. And abundant life is a part of it. So I challenge you, arise, have hope, have expectation, love one another, love Him, pursue Him with all your heart, and keep at it. It's not enough just to do it on Sunday or in special events or special seasons or special campaigns. we got to do it every day, all day. And when we start doing that, guys, there is no limit to what God can do. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, in Jesus' name today, as we close, we thank you so much for the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your love and grace for us. And Father God, we just we do thank you for this church family. And Lord God, I just thank you, God, for the plan that you have, Lord, for this church. And Lord God, I, I thank you for all that you've done. You have been very, very faithful, very generous, and very good. We acknowledge that. Every good gift, every perfect gift, it comes down from you alone. And to you alone go all the honor and all the praise, thanks, and the glory. And we thank you for all you've done. But God, this is the day that you've made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We're glad to be alive today. We're glad to be a part of this church family today. We look forward to tomorrow if you tarry and what is awaiting us. You said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope for the church family, a future and a hope for our individual families. And Father God, I just pray for encouragement and expectation and hope to arise. Father God, for those who we know who don't know you or are running from you or bound and addicted, Father God, not to give up, not to quit. 
But Father God, just to love them and seek your face and allow you to move through us. Father God, for those in this congregation who are even in this room this morning, bowed down with discouragement or anxiety or sickness. Lord, they put on a smile and they shake our hands and Lord, it's as if everything's okay and yet inside they're, they're breaking. And Father God, I pray that we would be a people who love each other enough and, and care enough about each other enough and, and know each other well enough. Lord, to sense those days and those moments and to care enough to care, to get involved, to pray, to encourage, to love, to meet a need if we can meet it. And Father God, I just thank you, God, for blessing your people today. We thank you for moving in this place. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, I've talked a lot about the church family. And it's an awesome thing to be a part of any church family, here or otherwise. The Bible says God sets the solitary in families. He don't want you to be out there on your own alone. But if you're not a part of the family of God, it all begins by giving your heart to Jesus and knowing Him. And knowing Him involves walking with Him every day. So I always, always want to give the opportunity. If you don't know Jesus or you're not walking with Him today, I want to give you the chance to do that. So if that's you and you're in this room like that, would you lift your hand? Is there anybody like that at all? Okay, then we're all church family. We're all believers. I want to challenge you today. And you can look up at me now. Take hope in God. Take hope in God. The best is not behind us. The best is ahead of us. Best is yet to come. I'm not saying it's all going to be easy. There's going to be some difficult moments and difficult days because of things that outside of prayer are outside of our control. But I'm going to tell you something. The best is yet to come for the people of God. If you'll trust Him and you'll believe Him and you'll get engaged in what God's doing. Don't just sit back and watch. Get engaged in it. Stay engaged in what God's doing. God's going to do some powerful things in the days ahead. Amen? I want to encourage you with that. I know there's food to come. Brother Albert, has uh, he's going to pray over the food and, and I think has a few things to share. So I'm going to have him come now and uh, turn it over to him.